God, no. Mate, as long as, well, nah, you can tell, call people a fucking cunt. It's, you know, it's my shit, do what you want. But nah, fucking say that again, mate, because that is, that's a piece of gold. Well, basically, the, the new rules is that between the 23rd and the 27th of December, so for a five-day period, we're allowed to mix with three households. So three households are allowed to mix with two other households, which is great. But as a healthcare worker that's working Christmas, um, I've got two days off after Christmas. So I'm, I'm off the 28th and the 29th, um, which means that I can't see my family. So I'm having to work the five. Well, I'm not working. I'm not, not working this weekend, but I've not got my kids. So my kids have been sent away so I can work Christmas Day. So I'm not having Christmas with them. When they come back, that's the end of the Christmas period. So I'm allowed to mingle. So I can't go and see my family down in London, who I haven't seen since August. So I don't get to see my mum this Christmas she doesn't get to see me because the rules basically fit those that have Christmas off <laughs> so us healthcare workers that have worked all the way through this and done overtime and done weekends and done I've not had um a bank holiday I've actually worked I worked all of Easter um I worked the Maybank both Maybank holidays you know when you kind of go no oh, okay it's yeah, fine I mean I'm working Christmas day I have got boxing day off you know the Monday afterwards so that's fine I, you know that's not a complaint as such because it's, it's the job I chose 100% I chose to go into healthcare and we can't have Christmas off mm. but the whole rule has come out to please everybody you know to make them happy because god damn it everyone deserves a Christmas not if you work in healthcare <laughs> what do you think the repercussions is going to be though with those like five days that they, they're allowing people to or mingle and all that sort of shit. Do you think it's just going to, like, well, fuck us over? I, I think they've had to do something because I think people are just going to ignore it anyway. So there was absolutely no way that people were going to socially distance and not see their families at Christmas. So I get why they've done it, because they've kind of tried to put some guidelines in to at least please some people. And hopefully sense. most people will follow it. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise I think everyone was just going to go, stop this, I'm going to go and mingle with my entire family of 11 households and spread it like wildfire. So I do 100% get why they've done it. I think I don't think there's anything else because because people aren't taking part in this lockdown. It's just not it's not happening. Too many protests. People are too unhappy. So hopefully it won't be too bad. I mean we're in the middle of second wave and it's a bit of a strange one. Our hospital at Warrington is the worst in the network. We're kind of up there with like the Liverpool hospitals. So. We're not, and we have been from the beginning of this second wave, and we're not quite sure why. There's other hospitals in like Cheshire and Merseyside that aren't as bad, and it's a bit weird as to why they're not as bad. We're not sure, mm. um, but it's just not slowing down. We kind of, it looks like our numbers have been quite steady for two or three weeks at kind of a high level. Mm. So we kind of discharge five patients from intensive care, and we're like, oh yeah, we've discharged five patients, yeah. And then five more appear over like a two-day period. And you're like, oh, right, we're back to where we were two days ago. Mm. Okay. And it doesn't feel like you're ever getting a breather from it. So it kind of started in February, March. And I did 60-hour weeks for a couple of months and worked, every, you know, worked. I had one day off a week every week for a few months. And then we had a bit of a lull. And we kind of thought in a lull, we're going to prepare for the second wave because we know it's coming. Let's prep for it and let's do something and the big manager, big bosses sat in meetings and went back and forth over, oh, we should do that and we should do that. And never actually sorted anything out. So when the second wave came, we just weren't prepared again. 
So it all kind of started again. Fuck. So it was a bit frustrating. Why do you think, like, there has been no curve and it's not really started reducing? Why do you think it's just just going up and up and up and up? Honestly, I think it's schools and universities. I think... Mm. That's where I don't think a lockdown's going to work unless they shut the schools again. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert in it. Do you know what I mean? My, yeah, yeah, my for sure. Expertise isn't. It just feels like from the schools opening back up, it just ran a bit riot, and with kids not having symptoms a lot of the time, so they're carriers, so they're spreading it. They don't know they've got it unless you test them all. Mm. How do they know who they're spreading it to? Mm. And the thing is, like kids, kids and. 20-year-olds at university aren't at risk from COVID. They're not going to get ill. They're not going to get sick. They're not going to die from it. So I get why they're not particularly worried. But I've got a 60-year-old man at the moment in intensive care that he has no past medical history. There is nothing wrong with him. He's not big. He's not fat. He's not diabetic. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. He walks his dog. He works full-time. And... He's sick, really, really sick. I sit with him every single day and chat to him because he's going to be with us for a long, long time before he can go home. Mm. And he's already been with us nearly a month. So it, it doesn't... I was talking to him today, actually, because I said to him, he doesn't really fit our demographic in the fact that he's, you know, early 60s, very early 60s, fit and well, doesn't smoke, not obese, not diabetic, don't really understand why he's been so poorly and why we're really struggling with him because it it doesn't fit everybody else yeah um but it's not even that i've got i've got members of staff i've still got a member of staff that's been off sick since march so from long covid she's and she didn't go to hospital she wasn't sick enough for hospital so i think we're going to struggle from an economical point of view from patients who not didn't even necessarily come into hospital but they're not going to go back to work anytime soon so they're going to be kind of relying on the state for money and they're not going to be paying taxes because COVID has wiped them out completely. It's quite scary. I'm doing um, part of what well, part of the service I've put into place is like a COVID um, rehab triage service. So I have a band three assistant that basically phones every single patient that's been in hospital with COVID and asks them how they're doing and kind of goes through um, whether they, they're deconditioned, whether they're fatigued, um, what the nutrition status is like and psychologically how they are. And I should have got the numbers up, shouldn't I? It would have been more helpful. But I've got pie charts. <laughs> um, Way. Like 60 odd, 60, 70% with psychological issues. And these are patients that just came into hospital. They didn't come to ICU. They're not ICU patients. They're hospital patients. Psychologically, they're struggling. So, Do you think that's going to be, you know, I mean. Massive. You think that's going to be like the third wave and the the next pandemic? You know what I mean? Like, so like my missus made a, a really good point. Like, she's it's going to be like the Great Depression in the nineteen thirties, but instead of economics, it's going to be between people's ears. Yeah, yeah, I would be fine. And the problem is, I get it because when um, we went through a bit of a period where, um, kind of near to the end of the first lockdown, when it was starting to slow down with COVID patients. It just felt like, and this is anecdotal, but I'm sure someone could find a figure somewhere. Um, the patients in our, because we've got a green ICU and red ICU. So our red ICU is our COVID patients and then our green ICU is our non-COVID patients. So they're patients that have come in with other problems. Um, and our, our green ICU with our non-COVID patients was full of either attempted suicide 
or patients with alcohol problems. We just kind of, oh, you kind of went around and go, that's a suicide, that's a suicide, that's alcohol, that's alcohol, and that's a suicide. Okay. And it just felt like that was 10 times worse. Do mm. you think lockdown, it might have saved us a few COVID patients, but it certainly didn't help people's mental health. So I was quite torn with the idea of a second lockdown and stopping people again, because that has its effects too. So, you know, you just go, there's just no, you can't win. You yeah, really can't, can't win. Yeah. You know, I've I've had a, a patient die today. I've had to the his, her husband came in, so I've helped her husband put on the full full PPE to go in to see her. So I've helped him kind of get dressed. Very frail, very very frail old man to come in and see his wife. You know, in her last moment, and down to COVID, she wouldn't have died if she hadn't got COVID. You know, I mean, yes, mm. someone someone's going to kill her eventually, but. Not really like it. Yeah, and I sat with somebody. Was it last week? Not not last week. The week before, I sat with um, a man and his wife. He was dying, and I sat with his wife while he while he was dying, and just kind of held a hand while she held his hand while he died. Do you know? And you go, we we doing that a lot. Hmm. And then we've got patients in at the minute where you think this is going to be real long term. I'm part of the ICU recovery group. Um, so when you've gone home, you kind of come back and meet us at a hotel, like a couple of hours and chat. And they're all just saying the same thing. They're, they're, they're exhausted, they're fatigued, they're not sleeping, they're dropping their oxygen levels at night still. And you're talking from being in in March. It, it's unbelievable. Just never, I've never seen anything affect people as, as bad as COVID and I've worked in intensive care for 20 years I've never seen there's patients in there that I wouldn't expect to come across it you know you, you turn up and you go oh the member of staff in here today all right okay how you doing you know part one of, one of the training departments in bed 19 you're like oh, okay okay shit <laughs> you know it's quite frightening it could be could be any of us really and how would you and keep yourself of, safe like because that must be a massive <laughs> issue right well, I, 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 it seems like I've had COVID because I've got antibodies. Well, I had antibodies. I probably don't have them anymore because they don't. We now know they don't last. But I did have COVID at some point. But um, and I didn't feel well around Easter. But with working sixty-hour weeks, wearing a full face mask, you know, when you've got a sore throat and a headache, you just think you're stressed and you're tired and you're not sleeping and you just yeah. carry on. I was living off um, monster espressos. They're amazing, by the way. Yeah, they're fucking good, aren't they? Monster. <laughs> 10 hour shifts are like yeah, yeah, yeah. good I'll be coming my team were like pushing me out the door going are you going to go home yeah I'm going to go home in a minute like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah but um, the, 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 the first wave was amazing in the fact that everyone kind of came together you probably heard about like the clap for carers Yep. The people stood outside on a Thursday at like 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. I can't remember. I was never home by the time it happened. I never heard it. Um, they clapped for, you know, for NHS and key workers. And everyone kind of seemed to get behind us and support us. And the team dynamics at the hospital were brilliant. You know, people would just come and help. And you get donated like free meals, seat temple, cooked for dinners and stuff like that, which was just awesome because you'd, you'd come off the unit and there'd be a hot meal there and you'd be like oh thank god there's food because otherwise I was gonna have to go and buy a sandwich somewhere and I haven't got time to go and buy a sandwich the second wave is very different people are fed up and I don't know how much of media spin or whether it's kind of government spin 
but people think we're lying now. People think that we're making up the numbers. It's not as bad as we're making out. The death rate isn't higher than it normally would be. We're all sitting there twiddling our thumbs and making out that we're busy. Mm. And I think I put it on Facebook because that's when you messaged me, wasn't it? That mm. I find that personally very insulting because I just think you have no clue. You just don't have a clue what we're doing. Yeah. Absolutely no clue. We, As health professionals, we're not making up sick people. We can't, we're not kind of bringing people into intensive care because we're bored or pretending there's 18 patients when there's only four. It's just a bit ridiculous. <laughs> I don't mm. know why people think that we're making it up. Yeah, you hear a lot of, a lot of people, you know, they're like preaching that, you know, the numbers are just started and a common cold or a flu can, oh no, it's automatically COVID and if people die and it's never not had an autopsy, it just gets shipped into the fucking numbers and it's, you know, scaremongering and all that shit. And like, that pisses me off. And I'm on an island in the fucking bottom right-hand corner away <laughs> from everything and had 27 fucking cases and that's it. I can't imagine how that makes you feel when every day you wake up live live off fucking monster espressos and <laughs> try and keep people alive you know what i mean we so like, i don't i i can't i can't picture that man you get death rates like um thrown at you like i think there's there's some um information over in the um island that says that the death rate in april this year was similar to that in january of the year before okay well you you Comparing April, which is not a high death rate month normally because flu season is generally subsided by then, to January, which is generally the worst. Mm. So that's a bunch of shit anyway. Let's let's compare April to April, shall we? Or Jan this January to last January. Mm. Also, it's not the death rate that's the issue. Because if you had a killer bug, if you had like Ebola, where everyone, you know, you got Ebola and within, I don't know, 48 hours, it, it killed you from massive hemorrhaging, you'd die, wouldn't you? So you'd be out of hospital system. You you wouldn't be a strain on hospital system. We've got a bug here that gets people, you get sick and you generally are a bit sick for between seven and 10 days. Now, if you're all right at between seven and 10 days, you're probably going to be all right. Otherwise you fall off a cliff at seven to 10 days. Yeah. You can be in intensive care for a week. I had a chap that we literally had a CPAP mask on him, couldn't take it off for seven days before he started to improve. He then took another couple of weeks to improve. So he was with us on intensive care for nearly a month. That's a long time. So when you've got kind of two or three people needing to come into intensive care every day and they're staying for a, between kind of a week at the least to over a month, potentially two months, we can't cope with it. And it's it's the hospital admissions in the, in the wards. Not only have we got our normal patients, we've got the COVID patients on top of those patients. So I know I read somewhere where, you know, someone's done some database about how many, how busy hospitals are and they've looked through it and apparently you can look up your hospital and see how busy it is. You know, you just go, come and fucking have a look for yourself. I'll show you around because you don't need any PPE because you don't believe in it. So come with me. I'll show you around the ICU. I'll introduce you to some patients. You can sit down, have a chat with someone behave my patients um, and tell me what you think. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, if everyone, if everyone got it and they all died, it wouldn't be an issue, would it? Health services would be fine because we'd be struggling with more rather than kind of hospital beds. Mm. But people are taking a long time to recover. So they're in hospital for quite a while, which actually is 
problem on the NHS, not the death rate. So what, it isn't it isn't a high death rate. It really isn't. So what do you do when there physically isn't enough space within a hospital? Like what what do you do? Well, in terms of ICU, um, well, ED gets backed up, so A and E gets completely backed up. They were bedded down, they had patients in beds in A and E last week. Wow. It has improved. Um, we use intermediate care beds. Um, we use transitional beds. We use residential homes as much as we can to get people out as quick as possible. Um, we have physios and OTs and social workers just trying to rush everything through as quickly as physically possible. So as soon as a patient can kind of take a step, right, you're out the door, bye-bye, off you go, you're fine. Um, in terms of te- intensive care, we've got 20 physical spaces. So we've got 20 physical beds. Now you're meant to have one nurse to, an in, to a level three patient, so to a kind of fully ventilated tube patient. You're meant to have one nurse to kind of CPAP HDU patients, the level two patients. We don't have the staffing for that many beds. We're only actually funded for 18 beds, even though we've got, physically got 20. But we've gone over that. We were 20, I think we had 24 patients in today. Um, so we're in theatre recovery. We're actually, we've actually taken over theatres so they've had to stop doing surgery because we're in their theatre space. So we're using their recovery area. So we've got six, I think we've got actually seven beds in theatre recovery. There's six patients in there at the minute. Um, in just an environment that you can't work in, the beds are so close together. So in terms of, there's a patient that's been there in there for months. There's no windows in there. It's not window because it's a recovery area. So you're in there when you wake up from theatre and then you wish stuff towards. So this, these patients haven't seen a window, haven't seen out of a window, haven't seen daylight for weeks. Um, if you want to get them out of bed, there's just no room. You can't find any of the equipment because it's not where we would be. So we have to move it from ICU and back again. Um, it's down quite a long stretch of corridor as well from intensive care. So physically, both areas are very separate, which as lead for critical care, I'm meant to be over all of all 24 patients, it's very hard to be over two completely different areas. Mm. And then also over the respiratory ward, which is the other end of the hospital. <laughs> Logistically, it's quite hard work. So I don't think patients are getting the care that they need because there's too many of them. There's too few of us. Um, we don't have the critical care staff, the nurses, the physios, that are skilled in critical care to actually deliver the proper care that these people need. So it's one thing kind of saying, well, COVID numbers aren't very high, but if COVID are taking up our entire intensive care, so there were 16 patients on there today. So that's not bad, actually. It's been 18 most days. So they're taking up all our intensive care beds, which I can kind of run with my team because that's what I'm funded for. You then put six normal ICU beds in a completely different area. I've got to find somewhere else to, fund, to look after them and try and manage it and work with them. So if you get a fit and healthy 21-year-old that has a bike accident and breaks their ribs and they end up in HDU, they're more likely to die than they were a year ago yeah. because they're not going to get the care that they had a year ago before yeah. COVID. So I don't think people realise that, yeah, you might not be at risk. You might not be in the risk category for COVID, but you're in a risk category if you can't get a bloody ICU bed when you want one. Hmm. Yeah, you, know, you might. And we've seen that with cancer, haven't we? Cancer surgeries had to be postponed because we haven't had 
the capacity to see those patients too. And it's not about kind of prioritising COVID over cancer. We haven't done that, but if you haven't physically got the staff to look after everyone, you've got to stop some services. Yeah, it's not about prioritising, is it? It's about trying to do the best services you can at the end of the day. Like if you have so little staff or so little funding or so little space and equipment, like how the fuck can you treat everyone? Like you just can't. There's just no room. It's just amazing. I mean, one of our, we've got a cubicle and they've um, provisionally split it into two areas. So you can put two beds in it. And it's a one bedroom cubicle, but they'll they'll fit two beds in there if we have to. If it comes to that, we'll stick two patients in there. Fuck. So it is that kind of, yeah, you, if, you might not be at risk of COVID, but God forbid you get meningitis or you get some other illness, you know, you get a strep throat and it, you know, and it sees you off and you need an intensive care bed and you don't get the intensive care bed that you need because mm. everyone else has taken them up. And we're not, we're not giving intensive care beds to patients that don't need them. We're not, you know, we're not ventilating. We're making, having to make very hard decisions about who gets intensive care and who doesn't. Mm. And that's hard because mm. I know, you know, I know certainly in the first wave, some hospitals were turning people down that would have got it a year ago. And I know ECMO, so um, ECMO is basically um, where they take your blood out of your body and oxygenate it and put it back in again. So when your lungs are so bad, they're basically it's like, like a lung, lung bypass machine. Yeah. There's only a couple of centres in the country and they have very limited beds. And they're not normally at capacity. They had to tighten up their um, criteria for getting in. So a year ago, a person would have got in this year. They wouldn't have got in because they simply didn't have the beds. So... It does, it does make a difference. It, it's not just looking at, oh, the number of hospital admissions are the same as this time last year. It's not quite the same. You've got to look at who they are and what they need. Yeah, and the 100%. And the whole thing about, you know, if a patient comes in, we, you know, we're naming everyone as having COVID and patients aren't testing positive for COVID, but we're treating them as COVID. We're saying they're COVID. Trust me when I say we know what a COVID patient looks like. I can mm. spot one from, you know, give me an x-ray, give me a CT. We're not stupid. They have certain characteristics. They behave in certain ways. They have certain symptoms. They certain blood results that are, they are COVID. We've had patients who have had three or four COVID swabs that have all come back negative. And I swear to God, they're COVID. And everybody will go, they're COVID. They are 100% COVID. Because of the way they they present mm. so yes there are people out there that will have tested negative for covid and we will label them as covid because they present as covid in every other way but a positive swab see i don't understand like the it's, it's the whole thing of like um researching on dr google right you've got the sniffles and then you you type in or oh, i've got the sniffles on uh, on google the next thing you know you've got cancer and you're going to die in the next 20 minutes <laughs> And it's just like, holy shit, I need to go to A&E straight away. People need to look at me. I'm like, fuck off. You need to blow your nose. Like, yeah. that, that, that's it. So I don't understand, you know, everyone's got an opinion now, which is which is incredible. But at the same time, why are we telling healthcare professionals how to do their fucking job? At the end of the day, like, they are keeping the nation alive. Trying to. <laughs> but there's people that have recovered... So if you guys weren't there, a lot more people would have died. Like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, you literally are, like, the spine 
of the, of the UK, 110%. Like, we don't know the ins and outs of other countries, so we can only speak on the UK. But the NHS is the fucking spine of, of the UK. You take that out, and, like, the whole thing doesn't really work. And I just well, don't I mean, understand. Think, is it in America, COVID, to get a COVID test is about 60 quid if you don't have health insurance. So how then their numbers will be lower than us because they're not testing anybody. Yeah. I don't know how they're managing. I know like to have a baby, it costs about 10 grand. I can't imagine what a COVID, you know, a COVID intensive care day would be. If we weren't privatised, like, um, like the US, people would be fucked though, man. People wouldn't be able to afford to have kids. Oh, it, it just, it would be ridiculous because an intensive care bed just the space is 1500 quid a day before you add in the drugs we give which can be expensive the ventilator consumables all the equipment you use i've got a little i've got a little piece of plastic that when you've been on a ventilator for a long time i can let you talk it's 50 quid for the piece of plastic you know anything these things if we charged everyone i'm going to put use a piece of equipment that's 50 quid so that'll be added to your bill and you know if i treat you for half an hour that's 50 quid on your bill every day so you'd have to pay for me to treat you and some of the COVID patients are needing four treatments a day with two of us. So it'd be 400, 400 quid a day in physio alone if you were paying private, no doubt. So, you know, we, we, we try. I mean, some patients we're with for an hour, an hour and a half, you know, with, and there's two, three of us. You know, if we if we stand somebody up after being in intensive care for quite a long time, it'll be three of us for like 45 minutes mm. to get somebody rehab back that's a big bill just in physio and we'd be relatively cheap because we don't have, you know, we're not using drugs and we're not using reusable, you know, unreusable equipment. They use like scopes that, you know, the, it's, it's one person, you know, single use scopes that are a thousand pound each, you know, you think stuff's not, stuff's not cheap. Yeah. But yeah. If we privatized, I mean, at Warrington, I'll, you know, blow my own, my own team's trumpet. We had the lowest um, mortality in the North, West, that's well, Chester and Mercy net, Merseyside Network, not quite Northwest, but we had the lowest mortality for our network. So I was like, yeah, we, we basically showed that we didn't intubate people because I think it came out of Italy that basically they, we, when I remember when the first wave started, and this is where we were petrified to start with because a lot of the stuff come out in Italy and China was that you get them into ICU and you tube them, you put them on a ventilator as soon as they hit ICU because. There's nothing else you can do. It's too dangerous to use CPAP or anything because of the aerosol generating and everyone else will catch it. So get them into ICU and tube them and then half of them will die. So you've got a 50% survival rate. And I don't think if it was even predicted it was going to be 50%. So we were kind of, I was kind of preparing kind of myself and my team for a lot of these patients are going to come in and just die and there's nothing we can do and we're going to see a lot of dead people. So, you know, let's just let's just kind of look after ourselves and talk to each other if we need it. And then I think in the first week we had a 48 year old man come in, um, was diabetic. Okay. Um, he arrested and we CPR'd him, tried to resuscitate him for two and a half hours before we finally gave in. And I'm pretty sure everybody on that shift that day had some sort of PTSD from having watched that because it was just, Oh shit, here we go. Luckily that, stuff like that didn't happen again so we did have this but it, it didn't happen again mm. but we kind of found actually that to not tube them is way better so we switched what we were doing and we put them on CPAP so we used what 
they, well, they've now turned black box thinking. I don't know if you've heard of that term. Yeah, yeah. It comes from my little black boxes. Yeah. <laughs> we used um, home CPAP machines. And I, um, we didn't have the circuits for the machine. So I sat in a cupboard and made circuits, the machines we had to put on every patient that came in. And we CPAP them um, to stop them being on a ventilating disc and basically just gave them long enough for them to recover from COVID. So they didn't get tubes and our mortality rate were like 10% higher than everywhere else. Fuck. So we did quite well. And I'm hoping this time round we've kind of, um, I've got a CPAP wean in place. So I've, I've been a bit of a Hitler in the fact that I go round and tell everyone what they're doing that day. So I'll be like, you're doing two hours of CPAP in the morning, two hours in the afternoon and overnight. Good, mm. good. And we've got, I've got like stages, it goes from stage one to stage six. The stage one is they come in and they're on 24 hour CPAP and that's it. And then we slowly wean them off as we go until they're off and off to the ward. And it's, I've worked in that intensive care unit for 14 years. The first time I've managed to get all seven ICU consultants that actually get on board with any plan I've come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can retire now because I've, I've done it. There's a silver lining there. But yeah, and it's working because it's, it's easy. It's a laminated sheet and you circle what stage they're on. You stick it up by the bed. The nurse knows what's going on. The doctor comes along and goes, all right, it's stage two, lovely, and they move on. So, yeah, we've kind of, physios have taken over ICU at Warrington. So you fucking, you touched on something that's like not talked about, um, but it, it, it will fucking come to light, is like PTSD from, from whether, uh, it's, yeah. whether it's patients or whether it's the healthcare workers. And like, do you think that's going to, seriously come to the forefront when this sort of stuff dies down you end up tackling it yeah i mean the from icu patient point of view to recognize i mean this is the thing that it, it annoyed quite a lot of when i say annoyed it 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 gets on the tits of some of the old icu patients because um it's been long recognized that having an icu stay gives you psychological issues always has always will done will do you go to intensive care and you get intubated you might not remember being sick so the you know your last memory your last waking memory is if you walking around absolutely happy the next thing is you wake up you can't move anything you can't speak because you've got a tube in your neck you're somewhere where you have no idea where you are there's people standing over you and at the moment people standing over you with great big mask goggles and full everything and you don't know who they are. And they're saying, oh, you're here and trust us. You can trust us. I mean, you people say, and, and we've given you drugs that make you hallucinate and have nightmares. Mm. So we've, we've had patients who think they've been kidnapped by pirates, um, that they're being tortured. Um, we've had stories of patients who said that they they can see their family um, hung up in cages around the bed. You know, there's dead people under the bed. There's dead people walking around. There's like animals around the bed. There's a dog that keeps barking at me. There's, you know, and they're hallucinating and they're vivid hallucinations. So they think they're real. I had a patient come back who um, had been in an ICU for a couple of months, really, really poorly. And he'd um, got better, gone home to his family. He was only in his late 40s. And he came back to our ICU follow-up clinic about three months later. Um and he kind of was talking through how he was feeling, how he was getting on, still quite fatigued. He'd lost the ends of a couple of his toes, but he was okay and this, that and the other. And he kind of turned to me and went, Joe, can, can I just ask you something? Like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. What, what, what's up? And he went, did you at any point take me to London and leave me in the basement of a building? Fuck. Um, 
no I didn't we stayed where we were the whole time we went right okay because I just because I just remember you leaving me in the basement of this building it was there and it was on fire and you left okay <laughs> and he couldn't reason with himself that it wasn't true mm. we just had to get that clarification because he said it doesn't make sense to me that you do that but I had to ask you mm. did you do that or not because I can't get out of my head that that was real it was so real was that from so the drugs not yeah through all sorts of things we um, quite a lot of the drugs will give you hallucinations and very very vivid dreams Fuck. very vivid dreams you can't tell if they're real or not so from an ICU point of view, that's not new. The po- you know, post-ICU, that's common. We're getting a lot of patients who, because of CPAP masks, are struggling to sleep when they go home because they wake up thinking they've still got it on mm. um, because we put it on them for so long. So that's going to be an issue. Um, patients, what about the, you know, the patients that don't come into hospital, so they're sick at home? They're going to have not, not necessarily PTSD, PTSD but certainly depression anxiety about going outside again there's a lot of fear over getting it again because you know the number of people that have said to me I've never been this sick in my life mm. um, the six year old I was talking to you about before was like I've never been in hospital I think he, he had kidney stones once and he's never been anywhere near a hospital other than that so he's just like this is just something I've never you know I've never experienced before yeah, it, uh, there's going to be a lot of problems. Fuck. What do you... I mean, it, it's kind of hard to, to put your finger on it, but what do you think, like, the solution is? What do you think the next step is? What do you think, like, is something that's going to improve, like, the, the situation that we're in now? Well, the vaccine. It's got to be the vaccine, has it? And enough people have got to take it. They've got, they've got to have the vaccine because it, it, that's the only thing that can stop us. It's like the flu vaccine, because even if it's only 70% effective, the flu vaccine is only 40, 50% effective, and it makes a difference. It definitely makes a difference. So definitely the vaccine. I don't know what else you can do, because if you only maintain your antibodies for three or four months, so theoretically you can get it every three or four months, we're screwed, because it will just go round and round the circle. There's no kind of herd immunity with it. It's not, you'll have to have something to stop everyone getting it and then if enough people get it it will stop spreading and then you maybe think... we get back to normal we won't go back to normal for a long time nah there'll be there'll be repercussions of economic socio-economic like fucking cultural will be a little bit affected people will be scared like you said ptsd depression anxiety of going outside the door like all those things are just going to add up to one big shit show yeah um and i i have no idea what the solution is like do you think do you think there's different strands of it because like yeah yeah, that, oh, yeah we, we were on like um strength 30 by about april really but, yeah i mean there there's because it it definitely changes and the way that patients present even though they've got the underlying kind of characteristics they're ever so slightly different on yeah. each one so um anecdotally again like in the first wave we had a lot of happy hypoxics so they don't know that their their oxygen's low they're sat there breathing completely normal and they're blue but they're happy they're not out of breath they're fine they could get up and run up and down and they'd probably die but they wouldn't know their oxygen's low they're quite dangerous but they're quite easy to treat in a way because you just give them oxygen and carry on we've now got the very unhappy hypoxic so they really desaturate their oxygen levels through fall through the floor 
plus they can't breathe. So that's been, that seems to be more apparent this time, even though we still got the happy hypoxic from, you know, that we're used to dealing with. So mm. it definitely changes. Um, and some things aren't working with these ones that worked first time round. I say these ones, that's a bit, that's a bit horrible, isn't it? The patients, they feel people, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's like a, it's the different strand, though, isn't it? Like some things are going to yeah. work for the first one, and it's not going to work for the thirtieth one. Like, do you think the vaccine will be able to sort of create immunity for all of them, or do you think there's going to be there has to be different levels of of vaccination? Well, um, it will probably be like the flu. They probably have to update it every year. So they, um, we base our flu vaccine on what happens in Australia, because. Six, you guys are six months, I know not Australia, but you guys are six months ahead of us. So mm. we follow your flu season, which weirdly enough, you haven't really had one this year, mm. probably because of lockdown and wearing masks and people washing their hands properly. Um, yeah, that helps. Because we that haven't helps. hit flu, we haven't had a single flu patient in intensive care, which is unheard of at this time of year. So, what, the, the standard flu? Yeah, and it's not being not because it's being labelled as COVID because they present very differently with flu. We do know the difference between a flu patient and a COVID patient. They're not mm. silly. <laughs> um, you sure? Flu yeah, flu doesn't make <laughs> doesn't cause you to make blood clots in your lungs, does it? So mm. it never has before. So I don't know why it would now. Because um, that that was quite interesting. I remember when we found out about that because. Um, this is why we kind of needed lockdown to start with. We needed lockdown earlier because we needed time to figure out what we were doing and work, look at what Italy and China were doing. But it mm. came a bit too quick for some some of our patients we lost because we didn't know. Um, but we take blood from them to look at what the gases are doing, to what their oxygen and carbon dioxide levels are doing. And you take a little syringe and you stick it in a machine and it kind of takes the blood and tests it. And the machine was constantly breaking. So what? it was constantly clotting and the engineer the engineer of the machine was sending out kind of complaint reports saying you're messing up my machine stop messing it up i've been up every single day to fix it stop messing it up and kind of turned around and went there's something wrong with the blood because why does it keep clotting the machine the machine keeps breaking because there's something wrong with the blood and it's because they're all clotting it was a clotting disorder with the blood that covid causes which flu doesn't mm. so when you get somebody in with like the clotting all off the chart on their, you know, their blood tests, the blood results. You're like, oh, oh, it's COVID. Oh, they can't breathe. Oh yeah, look at the X-ray. Oh look, COVID lung. Mm. That was quite an interesting one. That was something I don't think any of us expected to happen. It was like a multi-system problem mm. that affected your blood clotting. Fuck. So like, it was very interesting. You know, first wave was like absolutely fascinating with how it affected. In a you know in a, a bit of a morbid way of whoa didn't know that. <laughs> well, it's it's all morbid though, isn't it? Like because you've you've got to fucking learn from it, and then in the next twenty hundred years, you it's then talked about of like oh what we used to die from COVID like nah give over yeah. you know what I mean? But it all comes from like curious minds of like holy shit like what's it actually doing in the body and blah 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 blah, and then like the average Joe on the street. We'll just be like, oh, that's disgusting. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but you're not you're not holding someone's hand as they fucking die. So shut up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you've got to you've got to learn from it, and you've got to be able to be inquisitive, and and ask those questions. Like even when someone is, you know, on death's door, it does sound really morbid, but it has to happen. That's how modern medicine fucking works. 
and you learn so much from what well, there was um because originally the the whole thing was it was a dry unproductive cough so and it is now you know if you it's a really irritating annoying persistent cough which is one of the main symptoms of it um so the whole feeling was when it was happening in Italy was that oh they won't need physio because you know physio is kind of one of our main jobs in intensive care is to clear your, clear your chest when you're on a ventilator is to get all the crap out of your chest that's our you know big speciality so mm. I won't need physio so one of one of the hospitals I won't name it um said they didn't need physio on intensive care so no physio went on intensive care for COVID in the first three weeks um of COVID we, strangely enough their mortality rates are a bit shit not you know physio rules yeah. um, but we were like because I kind of with some of these patients, I don't, you know, I kind of think if you're on a ventilator and you can't physically cough and move your own secretions, you're going to need help. So I'd batter them. I'd absolutely batter them and get phlegm up. And they weren't unproductive. The phlegm was like um, concrete and it was stuck in the bottom of the lungs. And they needed, you know, shit tons of saline poured down the ET tube and shaking to move it. And the reason why they were saying it was unproductive is because no one was actually moving the phlegm. And we found that they needed, some of them were needing four physio sessions a day because they had so much thick phlegm that they needed so much help to move it. So sure. it was quite interesting. It was like, well, that information was wrong because it's not an unproductive cough at all. So you would actually, you know, hands-on get it out of them? Yeah. Fuck. And what, what would have been... It's all PPE in the middle of summer. I bet. And like so for 10 hours. Yeah, we have we have teams of like two physios going around, so they're going two to each patient to treat them, you know, and they could do a couple and then it'd be like, you know, guys, go and get a break, go and get a drink because, you know, you, you sweat, you sweated through your scrubs. It was like you take your full PPE off and then go have to change your scrubs because they were just wet. Mm. So, it's like yeah. a fucking workout. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I didn't leave the gym. Yeah. the gym's being shut. That's all right, come work with me on the But, yeah. So, like, what would have happened if if you'd have left those patients and left the phlegm in the bottom of their lungs? Like, what what was the process they would have gone through, and then what was the outcome? Well, or what would have been the outcome? Either wouldn't, we either wouldn't have got better, or it would have taken longer to get better. So it was trying to get them off the ventilator, stop them getting kind of a ventilator-associated pneumonia, because if you leave phlegm down there, it's going to cultivate bugs, isn't it? And you're going to mm. get a bacterial infection on top of um, COVID. So we are getting quite a few patients who were getting like a bacterial pneumonia on top of covid so yeah. we're watching we're looking out for that as well and then what happens there like is that potentially fatal i'm, I'm i thinking that's what one of my patients has died of today because wow. we were getting somewhere up until the weekend we were hoping to discharge us to the ward last week wow. so i'm, heavy, I'm pretty man. sure one of my physios is going to be quite upset because she spent a lot of time with her getting to know her and hmm. So yeah, it, it, but it's that thing of being intense. I, I remember when I first, when I worked at Withenshaw and I had a band five and the band five physio got very, very close to the patient's family and the patient died. I had to send her home. She was so distraught because she just <sighs> got attached. Hmm. So it, it's definitely kind of, you've got to get used to it, haven't you? So how do you do that? Do you just put another hat on and be like, this is this is work mode, I am, I am a physio? Or is it <laughs> like, is that what you do? Yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we all do it. I, I know um, um, one of one of the consultants cried today um, mm. at one of the patients because he spoke to her about he 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 went to her today and kind of said, um, 
you know, you look like you're really struggling. And she basically said, I've had enough, please just let me go. So he was in tears. Mm. Um, so we, we're not, we're not heartless. We don't not cry. One of, one of my patients in the green ICU has got um, a Build-A-Bear bear. You know, do you have Build-A-Bear? I don't build a bear. Yeah, you can't build a bear bear. Um, and the family have recorded messages and put it in his tummy. So when oh. she presses it, um, it's like, we miss you, Grandma. I love you. <laughs> so, um, I was like, oh, you've got a bear. And she went, yeah, and it does this. And I pressed it. And in front of the whole ward round, who then promptly burst into tears. <laughs> it was a bit like, I'm just going to walk away because I'm just going to walk away. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think... Um, yeah, I generally don't cry at work, so I could be with a patient and they'll die, and I just it it won't. I just don't even. And then mm. um, I'll cry at a silly film or cry at something on TV that my kids are like. Why are you crying at that? I, was like, I don't know, <laughs> just crying. So I think you just yeah, you put you put it in a box somewhere and put it away for later, don't you? Do you think it'll ever? Do you think it'll ever come back? Yeah, I think it does quite a bit. I think. Where, you know, you just, I think everyone does, don't they? Where sometimes it just gets a bit much. Mm. It's one of those days where you just go, no, can't do this today. So, I mean, I know I've had a, I've had a few patients where I think they've pulled through. Um, but I think if they hadn't, I think that would have been a, you're going to have to give me a few minutes. And I have, I've had, you know, I have had times where I've had, just had to say to somebody, you're just going to have to give me a few minutes. I just need to let me just go. But, Process it and then get over it, yeah. Yeah, but you can't go home, can you? You can't kind of, at what point can you go? Like, you know, when you know that when that young guy, I'm saying young, 48 is young, when that young that guy died, it was just before, well, it was around lunchtime because me and the other video didn't go and get our lunch till half two. So we kind of came off at half two and sat and had our lunch and everyone else was kind of going back on and doing other bits and walking around. And I think we, me and her just kind of sat there like opposite each other and ate food and people kind of going, you're right. And we're like, just not even going to. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of sat there and went, we're going to eat our lunch. And then we just, yeah, no. And it was, uh, I think everyone kind of went, just leave them alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talk to anybody. So. No, especially like emergency services, like everyone knows about the military and, and, you know, PTSD and it comes back to you and all that sort of shit because it's been going for fucking as long as we can remember. But like emergency services is something that like, I don't think is touched on enough. Like, uh, especially seeing it in my old man, like for years he's been in the police and you just kind of become desensitized to, to like shit. You just, you couldn't even fathom that you see. Um, and then, like, later on down the line, it just ends up fucking with you. And it'll just yeah. come back, and you're just like, what the hell? Like, I thought you were fine, but then 10, 20 years down the line, you're not okay. And I, like, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, how do you think... Because it, it all comes down to a funding thing, right? And of, like, oh, government needs to fund, and everyone gets a council, and by the way, blah. But the UK is a special a special little subject because people always have that stiff upper lip and just like, Oh no, don't, don't worry about it. I'm yeah. fine. Old chum. You know what I mean? And especially the fucking North, cause everyone puts on the persona of they're a hard motherfucker and nothing can take them down. You know what I mean? But then yeah. behind closed doors, it like just wrecks people. Yeah. I think you've, you've got to have your support network, haven't you? Which um, I've got, I've got some people that I've, you know, I've got people, 
that mm. that do check up that do kind of go well you're all right in the first wave that you know if I thought just a quick message you're all right you didn't need anything and then you know you get a knock at your door and you open the door and there'd be like a care package outside and some food and one of my friends baked burritos for me so that I'd have food take mm. you know and just things like that one of my other friends dropped off like hydration tabs for me so I could take some like hydration like lick drinks to work with me and things like that so it's it is about and it, it's talking to each other that I mean that, that's the other thing as well like how my sense of humor can can be utterly sick it really can be just awful because you know, how else it, you know yeah. and I think we, we get I get a lot of rotational staff so they come to me for four, four or six months to get training and then they move on you know and in the first week I you know I'm I'll say something and like my my kind of deputy physio will turn around and go that's just Joe. you'll get used to her she's fine yeah. you know and they'll you know and I'll say stuff and it was like I said I said yesterday in the coffee room about you know if this is Ebola the NHS would be fine because they want to be dead within two days anyway it's the problem that the fact that they're not dying quick enough and they're taking too long to get busy you know, to get better that's what's causing the problem you know and, and my band my band six is at the minute kind of turned around and went she does have a heart really she doesn't really mean it <laughs> it was like because I'm not thinking kind of emotionally, I'm thinking with a kind of, you're talking about bombs in seats and bed and bed pressures. Wouldn't be a problem if it was something that wiped everyone out in 48 hours of capture it, would it? Because, mm. hey, we'd have loads of beds then, wouldn't we? Because yeah. they'd all just be dead. So, but it's just, I'm not heartless. Do you know what I mean? When I've got, I sat with a patient this afternoon and chatted to him for a good half an hour because he was having a shit day. And was just being very emotional. He's fed up and had enough. And I sat with him for a good half an hour and chatted to him. So I do have empathy. I don't. I'm not very good at sympathy. I have empathy, but I don't really do sympathy because I'm a bit like, you know, come on, get out. It's, you, you can fix yourself. You know, they patients get to talk to me when they come into intensive care. It's like, right, we're putting a CPAP mask on. You've got to do this now. You've got to fight. This isn't. This isn't down to us anymore. This is down to you. I'm putting this mask on. Keep it on. That will save your life. Okay, so it's empty. Just saying how like, it is, man. I know this is shit. This is going to be really shit for you for the next week, and I understand that, and we'll be here for you as much as we can. But only you can do it, and I'm not pussyfooting, and I'm not taking it off because you don't like it. Mm. So suck it up. You get and the nurses all go. This is Joe. She's the lead physio. You'll hate her in a week. <laughs> She's gonna piss you off. I think one of the guys I said them. Um, just, just saying, but does your, does your wife nag you at home? And he was like, yeah. And I went, yeah, well, you just swapped her for me now. So uh, you'll want to go <laughs> home better than I am. <laughs> just like, oh, God. And yeah, they, I've, got, I've got the reputation. If you've got a patient that won't do what they're told, the physio, the, the other physios will try it. And then when if they don't get anywhere, they send me in because I'll get them out of bed. <laughs> yeah. But it's not nah, like that's just not molly, molly cuddling people and it's just saying things how it is, calling a spade a spade and getting things done, mate. And like, I think there's always a level of respect connected to that, even if they hate you for a week and then they'll yeah. turn around in, I don't know, five years fucking time, maybe. And they'll just be like, oh, yeah, actually, the way Joe handled that situation was not what I wanted, but it was what I needed. And it yeah. actually fucking helped me. I'm known for being blunt and, and like, I just don't, I'm not rude. I'm not rude, but I'm blunt. I think this and, is the only you know, way of doing it, mate. Quite often the physios will kind of say, you know, we've tried this, we tried nice, send Joe in because we tried everything else and they need, and actually the consultants will meet me at the door sometimes and go, bed nine needs a Joe talk because 
they're not listening. You're like, right, okay, you know, leave leave it to me and I'll, I'll have a go. I'll go see what I can do. And, you know, it's just at least then they know if I've had a go and I've done everything I can, it's not going to work. So they, they've tried. But, yeah, I do quite often get there. Can you just go and speak to bed, bed nine, ten? Because yeah, they're just not doing what they're meant to be doing. I'm like, okay. But, yeah, I think I think most of them appreciate it. I do make people cry a lot. But in a kind of, I apologise, I'm upsetting you, and I'm apologising, you know, I'm sorry, this is how it is. But I want you to tell me the truth. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Well, you are, think, you are helping them. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, you, you, your job is to keep them fucking alive. And it's especially when... Job, yeah, if people don't fucking I'm listen to you. Guy. I'm always the backup. I'm always the backup. It, it prob- I had a patient once years and years ago. She was with us for eight months on ICU. So, you know, we got to know each other very, very well. I'm still in touch with her daughter. Um, made a full recovery, bless her. She was like, she'll, she'll always be in my memory forever. Um, but she spent a whole month ignoring me, like an entire month ignoring me to the point where I, I could see her from across the unit and she'd be absolutely wide awake. And I'd walk over and she'd shut her eyes as soon as she saw me. And I'd walk up to the side of the bed and I'd literally bend down and go, Mary, I know you're awake because I've just seen you. Open your eyes and stop ignoring me. And she literally just refused to engage with me for a month. So for an entire month, I had to send different videos to her because she wasn't listening. <laughs> she loved it by the end of it but it was like Jesus Christ this is, this is hard work this is yeah. Hard work. yeah but no yeah. I managed to um, I her daughter used to come in every single day um, to see her and bring her soup and stuff like that and um, I took her trackie out her tracheostomy so she hadn't been able to talk up to this point hmm. I took her tracheostomy out and she said please don't please don't tell Pat that you're taking it out and I went no 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 I won't do um, so I waited for like Pat to come in so the daughter kind of buzzed the door so I let her in the door went over and said oh you know she had a good day today. We've been out of bed and blah, blah. And Pat kind of walked upside to the bed and Mary kind of called her over. She kind of came over and went, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she just went, I love you. Oh. <laughs> I think that's the only time I've cried on intensive care because I literally just went, I'm going to have to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and you go, Wow. So they both cried. I'm crying. The nurse is crying. We're all crying. It's like, we're not going to get anything done because we're just crying now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, stuff like that. I don't know, when was that? That was like 10, 10 years ago now. That's beautiful, man. So I still remember what bed she was in and where she was and everything. It, it's stuff like that that it that that helps. Yeah, yeah and you, you're not going to have remembered all that if you didn't have a fucking heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you didn't care. Just have to shut up in a big box, don't you? And yeah, Facebook warriors sometimes which I've struggled I've struggled with this wave like first wave I, I ignored the shit and this wave oh I don't know if I'm just tired from the first I can't you know I'm fed up I think I think we're all fed up of Covid actually sick of Covid I don't think anyone's not sick of Covid oh but yeah people are just turning on each other aren't they people are just there's two I've, camps and they're I've, so against each other it's it I think it's a brilliant thing of like now kind of media has become a lot more widespread, right? And everyone, everyone is talking about things that they, they were so scared to talk about. However, you can't really believe figures. You, you don't know what's right and what's wrong. You don't know what's true and what's false. But at the end of the day, like at least it's being talked about. Yeah. One thing that pisses me off to the point of like 
I really want to put my fist through the fucking screen. You know what I mean? Is like when people are like, oh no, like um, 70% of blah, 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 blah. Like there's a good interview with uh, Elon Musk and he was talking with, I think it was um, China's richest man or Taiwan's richest man or whatever. Like they're both obviously incredible businessmen. And he starts talking about some shit. And then he, like, Elon kind of like butts in. He just goes, oh, you do realize that 80% of statistics are false. And he just doesn't clock it. And like Elon Musk just kind of looks to the audience and just like, is this guy for real? Like he's meant to be like the richest bloke and doesn't clock it. And it, But it's fucking true. Like you don't know, you don't know what number's true or false. But I don't understand why people just haven't got the heart and just think, actually... Um, it's clearly a problem, whether it is a small problem or a big fucking problem. There's clearly a problem. And there are human beings that we like live next door to that are keeping people alive. So why don't we, uh, you know, show them a little bit more respect and ask them what they fucking need rather than be like, oh, government, you're not doing it right. And I would have done this. And I was like, well, you would have, but you didn't actually do anything. So shut up. I think, well, that's the thing. I, I don't know what, what the answer is. I don't know whether a, a lockdown would work. Because like I said, like the, the suicides and the alcoholic problems went through the roof. So yeah. what, what's the bigger problem? Like, you know, it's shutting gyms, you know, with the mental health issues with shutting gyms. I can't, I can't, I don't particularly agree with that. But I don't, going on a massive protest march with thousands of other people in close proximity, yeah. it's just fucking stupid. What, yeah. Why? What's the need? Yes shutting the gyms but fuck off and then kind of making out the same people making out that we're all lying in the nhs and we're sitting around twiddling our damn thumbs it's like really not you know so it's that kind of mentality i i I get let's question it and i don't i don't think the government handled it very well they were very slow off the mark they didn't get us the ppe they spent millions on kind of middlemen trying to get ppe because they didn't plan for it enough we knew about this this virus last year I got an alert from the World Health Organization about it. So, you know, when you kind of go, I knew about it, the government knew about it, why weren't they doing something? So, there's loads of problems, but again, I'm not a government advisor, I'm not a medical advisor. So, I don't, and I don't have all the right information, I don't have all the real stats. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't really know what would work. It, you know, yeah. I think it's good to have that discussion of what, what do you think, and do you think it's a good idea, and how do you feel about it? And, what are your thoughts on it? But I don't know whether a lockdown works. I don't know whether this five days over Christmas is a good idea or a bad idea. I think that people are going to ignore any rules that come out anyway. So you're going to have to do something to make it better. Screw me over, obviously. But the problem with like UK, like it's deep embedded for I don't know how many years of like people on the ground just don't trust government. No. Like you, I mean, you I blame to... them because most of them are liars and fraudsters. I mean, oh, you know, the dickheads, mate. Well, the MPs expensive years and years ago. Nobody trusts them. Nah, exactly. And like the thing is, like you they asked me, you asked me, you asked me a question about you know what do I think? Do you think it's the population over here that um, in New Zealand that sort of dictated how well they did? And yes, it does come into a massive factor. However, people trust their government like if the government says jump they'll just jump they won't ask questions they love your prime minister don't they your prime minister is loved and respected and you look at you look at the two major parties uh, you look at the two major parties they're not fucking different they're practically the same 
And you look at the two major parties in the UK and they despise one another to the point where they will spend their entire time in office just trying to get one over on the other one. And I'm yeah. just like, how, how can a bloke or a woman from fucking Eton talk for the working man or woman? Yeah. Might piss off. You know what I mean? You don't know what it's like. Like the worst you had was a fucking wedgie and went home and got pocket money for it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you only had one horse instead of two. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, poor thing. Yeah. I know it's, uh, it's frustrating. I, there, there is definitely that. It's like other kind of um, South Asian countries have done a lot better, haven't they? Yeah. But that's because their population do what they're fucking told. Yeah. And, you know, they don't rebel against everything that's ever said. And I, I'm not against kind of questioning government because 100% our government needs questioning over quite a lot of things. Yeah. They, they they need to look at how they handled it. They need to look at the fact they've given themselves pay rise but frozen everyone else's. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that, that a lot of like the PPE deals are all linked to each other and their mates and their, you know, spouses, companies and mm-hmm. you know, it it's all just so corrupt. It's utterly corrupt. It poses the a problem different problem. That, that now, means that half half the public don't trust them. So when they come out with figures and say, we need to do this because of this, they go, well, you yeah. lied on your expenses and you're cheating the country out of this and you're giving your mates all the, the good contracts and we're not going to believe you on that either. Yeah. It so, poses yeah, a different a problem because now it's a now it's a social problem. It's no longer anything else. It's basically the people, quote unquote, do not trust anything and kind of do what they, they want. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know... The answer, like we said, you're on the ground floor. I'm just a fucking bloke in the weird part of the world. Um, but, like, I don't know the answer. However, why is there not more conversations with people like yourself who are actively day in, day out, fucking fighting the battle that's going on at the moment and talking to, you know, uh, psychologists and, and people that are fighting the mental health pandemic and all that shit? Why is there not more? All right, what... What do you need? What are the positives and negatives from the last legislation we put in, in, in place? Where can we go to make it in, in, like better so we can actually tackle this and then end up rebuilding our economy a lot quicker? You know what I mean? Rather than just saying, oh, no, like I'm, uh, I'm an MP. I know everything. Uh, piss off. Um, I've had a really hard day. I worked for, you know, two 30-minute intervals. I'm going to give myself a 50 grand pay rise. Yeah. It's like, uh... you know what the problem is? Most of the people spouting crap on Facebook have got the fucking time to fucking spout crap on Facebook yeah. Yeah. because they've got nothing else to do, have they? Because they're sat at home doing fuck all. Whereas I ain't got time. So I've kind of I've, I've reposted stuff on Facebook that other people have wrote very eloquently because I simply I don't have the time yeah. or the energy or the headspace to actually put it down and write. Do you know what I mean? I just and a lot of us in work are like that because we'll chat about it in work. I've chatted about it with some of the patients because I've got patients that are livid. Mm. You know, I've got a patient whose daughter was kind of didn't believe in COVID and he, he just went, it's just ridiculous, I don't believe in it. She does now because mm. he's been in intensive care. But the patients are livid that there's people out there saying it's not, not a threat and there's nothing real. They're, they're finding it personally offensive that they're basically being told they're making it up. But so we, we're talking about it between ourselves. But the other thing as well is that you you have somebody that believes in a conspiracy theory. You can say whatever you like to them. 
they're just not going to care. They're not going to listen to you. They're just going to come back at you with a bunch of crap. Well, so it's like yeah. playing chess with a pigeon mm. because they're going to knock all the pieces off and shit all over the board anyway. So <laughs> why bother? You know I mean, you literally... So the majority of us are literally just going, can't be asked with you because there's just no point. We'll, we'll just keep our heads down. We'll get working. And I think that's what the majority of people in NHS do because any time we stick our head out the parapet, you get blasted. It's like... Nurses are being absolutely slammed for doing TikTok dances. You know, TikTok are really, like, really, they're 30 seconds, if that. They're 30 seconds. What, can they no longer they be a human? Are they not allowed a 30-second break? Do you know what I mean? Are we not allowed to have a 30-second chill? You what? come and work in full PPE for a 12-hour shift with minimal breaks and tell me you don't need a little bit of just light-hearted something. Just so, yeah. to break it, just to break that stress of what you're going under, and the and the fear as well, because a lot of a lot of the nurses have, you know, vulnerable children or parents or spouses, so they're working with this disease and seeing patients die in front of them that could be their husband, wife, kids, you know, mom, dad. Let them just have a little bit of you know release off this because. They're not sat at home, and especially when you know, we've got a lot of people posting stuff on Instagram, working in the garden. You know what I mean? They've got the laptop on a on a thing with the legs out with sun sunbathing. Mm. Fuck off! You're finding it hard, are you, love? All right then, yeah, that's fine. Piss mm. off with your complaints. <laughs> I've got no idea how 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 like you lot do it. Like I used to coach a shitload of people that used to work in, or, or still do, um, work in the hospital, right? And they would come in. This is way before COVID. This is before everything, like just on a normal standard year in the NHS. They would come in absolutely fucking ragged on like a quiet night, hardly, hardly have slept. I'm only 30. <laughs> and I'm just like, how, how, do you, how do you do that? You know what I mean? And now you're adding COVID on top of it. And I'm like, I've got fucking no idea. No idea, oh, and yeah, you, like you said, keyboard, keyboard, fucking warriors. Like they're finding it hard because all they got to do is, you know, wank and play PlayStation all day. And, and yeah, like... and a lot that's what a lot of them are doing, and then bitching about it. And yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I said all along. I mean, to be fair, if I'm honest, I would rather be in my position than someone that's working from home or furloughed, because I would not have coped with being stuck in yeah. my house having to homeschool both my kids. I mean, my, my little boy went to live with his dad for, mm. I think, three months it was. He disappeared to his dad for three months, and I saw him um, at weekends when I wasn't working. So he'd come home for the weekend. I'd work one of the days, and I'd see him the other day. So I saw him, like, one day a week and mm. um, three months, which was absolutely horrendous. But I don't think I would have been any better being a stay-at-home mum, homeschooling mm. both of them, because I think I would have killed them all. So I, I do have... You know, I really do kind of think it, there's two different sides of it. I was working 60-hour weeks. I remember one day, started at 8, finished at 8, um, phoned Freya. I was meant to go to Tesco after that. Phoned Freya and said, I, I can't. You know, I've been in work for 12 hours. I've sat with somebody for like two hours while they died this afternoon. Can I, I just can't. I can't go to Tesco. I need to come home. And she cried because this poor kid, 13, she turned 13 in May. So she did lockdown all by herself at home. I was at work six days a week, up to, up to 12 hours in a day, some days. And she was at home all by herself every single day. And I needed to go and buy her baking stuff because 
if you've seen her Instagram, she turned into an yeah. absolute epic baker. Which is what what a wizard. Only thing that kept her going was baking every day because she didn't have anything else to do because I wasn't there. So I had to go to Tesco after working for 12 hours and I was back in work at eight o'clock the next morning to start again. So that was horrendous. I don't know how I did it most of the day. I just robotically got up, went in, did what I needed to do, come home flakes on the couch some days um, I remember coming home one day similar type of day quite a lot of them were similar came home and sat at the kitchen table and went right I'll make some food better make some tea right what am I going to make and Faye kind of walked in opened the oven pulled out a quiche and went do you want some of this quiche <laughs> it's like oh my god yes I do you absolute lifesaver <laughs> so yeah you know in that way it was very very difficult it was very very difficult on her but at least I had job security I did have my job security. I got paid for the hours I did. Do you know what I mean? There was never any risk of me losing my job. And actually, um, because of what I did in COVID, they recognised what I did and promoted me. Mm. So, you know, when you kind of go, I got an award from the chief exec, um, I'm the only individual to receive the award. It's been teams before. And I think it's only the second time it's been given out. So I won the, the award from the chief exec. He basically came and did like a speech and went, you know, I've heard your name a lot in the last couple of months. It's like, which normally for me isn't a good thing. <laughs> normally it's positive when my name gets bad. But in that way it was. Um, so, you know, I got recognised and I got, you know, and I, I did get promoted and got recognised for what I actually can do in my job and what I have actually been doing for 14 years, but finally got recognised for it. Mm. So in that way, it's quite positive. And I couldn't have, I couldn't have stopped working for, three, four months, but however long people start working for. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't, it would have sent me over the edge, utterly sent me over the edge. And it all poses but, the question yeah, of like self-employed too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that wasn't complicated for at all. My, bro- whole, my, my fucking brother play, uh, works in the same industry and he's S&C coach and he's absolutely done in. Yeah. Absolutely done in. Like no subsidy, nothing. Like absolutely fucked. And I'm just like, I'd I put myself in. If say for example, I would never would have up sticks and left and and ran away literally to the furthest corner of the world. Um, I was like, I right, I'd be still in the, still in Southampton, still working three jobs to pay my fucking bills, to pay my um, uh, to pay my rent. I was like, well, I wouldn't have been able to pay rent because I wouldn't have been able to work. So I'd have been booted out. Like, what yeah. are you gonna do? Are you gonna you're gonna go back home where you don't have a house? Or are you yeah. just going to be like, all right, I'm just going to have to fucking curl up wherever I can. Like it's, again, this is, you know, it's ifs and buts. We are not messiahs or Moses himself. We don't have the fucking que- uh, the answers. Um, but I think more of a reasonable conversation about it is is the way to go rather than just saying, no, this is this is the worst thing ever or no, this is, this is bullshit. Like it doesn't actually exist. And I'm like, can you just shut the fuck up for a minute? And like, it's the empathy thing, isn't it? It's being able to see that. Yeah. You might be having a hard time, but that doesn't negate what someone else is going through. So yeah, I went through horrendously hard time, but I can honestly say that I get why other people struggled who Mm. were at home. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there were some days where I wish I'd been at home, but I think it, the time went quite quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then, true. You know, yeah. I was just Jesus. Yeah. Time goes. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Oh, well, you're so stressed. You have no idea. I had to actually um, 
I did actually, when it all started to calm down a bit, I did sit, I sat for about an hour with like a notebook and wrote stuff down mm. because I was like, I'm never going to remember all the stuff we did. Do you know what I mean? And people will say to me now, oh, I remember coming into the office and you sat on the floor of the office with just loads of tubing around you trying to figure out how to get ventilators, get ventilator circuits. Because obviously we had we had machines, um, but hospitals were just stockpiling circuits. And obviously without the tubing still on the machines, you can't use the machine. Yeah. So hospitals were stockpiling the circuits they wanted. So you'd, you'd order something, they go, we haven't got them. And you go, right, you haven't got the circuit I need for this machine. No. Nope. Right, so I get a message. There's a band seven nurse working from home because she's um, she's had a kidney transplant. So she's my I speak to her every day. Um, so she'd message me and go, can't get hold of those circuits. Right, okay. So then I'd go to like the housekeeper and go, what have you got that looks a bit like this? And she'd pull out different circuits, and I'd, I'd get the circuit and I'd go, right, I'm going to take those down. And I'd sit on the floor in my office and pull the circuits apart and go, right, if I stick that bit on there and stick that bit on there that'll work right i've got this so then i'd make up sets for sets of the CPAPs and go right there you set there to go so um the black boxes they came in bags so i'd, I'd get a bag and i put black box in and i put i'd, I'd make basically make circuit and i put it in a sealed bag so when a patient came into icu literally a nurse just had to go in, in the back room grab a bag and take it to bedside and then they could admit the patient so they weren't faffing about trying to make circuits mm. and then you kind of go to make circuits you go right i've only got five of those tubes left Right, Lisa, can you order me some of these tubes, please? Like immediately, because I need I need these this tubing. Yeah, can't get hold of them anymore. Right. <laughs> what can you get me instead? What else can I use? So I went to about three different, it was like circuit mark one, circuit mark two, circuit mark three. And it was just like, right, we're running out of those circuits. What have I got? <laughs> and like the housekeeper would go, right, we've we've ordered too many of these. Can you do something with this? And she'd come to me and say, Hundreds of these have appeared from like the network. We don't need them. Can you use them? Yeah, I'll have a go. Let's see what I can pull out of this bag. And it, oh, it was just horrendous. It was just, but that's what I think most people's kind of memory of me is like sitting on the floor with a pair of scissors and some tubing going, right, I'm going to make out of this. Engineer Joe. They're just like, I'm just like, I'm having the Blue Peter moment. Yeah, yeah, fucking hell. Making some circuits. I'm like, oh my God. So, yeah, it was quite kind of, it was, it was, it was a challenge. It's not necessarily a bad thing because some of the challenges were, it's nice to do something different for a bit, isn't it? To kind of be pushed and, you know, you'd come in and you, you know, someone would come up to you and go, Joe, we've got this problem. And you'd go, right. Um, I can do this and you you know you just work it out and figure it out and go right let's do this instead and be like right okay we're doing this and then I had a team of like 25 physios as well that hadn't weren't upskilled to treat the patients so they all needed training too so that was fun for the first kind of few weeks was right everyone had to spend like a half day with me before it all kicked off you know in a rotor just get trained up Shit. so I had like 20 odd physios kind of just looking at me going what are we going to do next <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the pressure, quite pressure. We'll end pressure. up looking back and just be thinking, what the fuck did you lot go through? And I really, really, really hope you get the recognition you lot deserve. Obviously, that's not what 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 you fucking do it for. But at the end of the day, like like we said at the beginning, like you are the spine of the freaking country. Like you get you keeping them going. The, the stuff that the NHS has done, it yeah it. And what people have, like what certain individuals have done, and what teams have done, and 
people just thinking outside the box, people really coming together. And, you know, you've got people have come out of retirement, people come off mat leave. People have done so much to, you know, I mean, the thing with me, I guess, is that, you know, my job is critical care. You know, that is my job. So I just did my job. I didn't do, I didn't get moved anywhere else. I've got physios that, I've got a physio at the moment that is a neurophysio. She works in neurophysio. She's working on green ICU. She's working on intensive care. That's not her. She, that's not her comfort zone at all. She mm. is happy. She does what she she you know she does what she can. She works hard. She doesn't ever complain. None of them complain. I've got orthopedic physios. I've got MSK physios. Not a single one of them have complained. And I know they're not happy about working on there because that's not what they want to be. If you're you know if you're a band six rotational physio, so you're working through your core like rotations you need to get the experience in the rotation they've lost the entire year of their career progression they're they're going to be all of them are a year behind now because none of them have been able to do any of the rotations that they wanted to be able to develop into their like chosen career path Hmm. because they've been on bloody respiratory which is something they've never wanted to do so and they've done it with such class and absolute dedication they have I mean through the you know through the first wave it was like having a family they were just so that the team like dynamic was just amazing because the camaraderie and the laughs you know we just there'd be so much laughing every single day because we would just be all together and it felt like a little family second wave feels a bit different I don't they haven't given me as many staff this time I've got to manage it on a lot less um fine um but like I'd, I'd come in at eight o'clock and I'd sit down at my desk to have a look at what what was going on that day and a costa would appear at my side you know what I mean it'd be like got your cappuccino Joe. oh Jesus thanks you know and they still sometimes sometimes they'll turn up and it'll be like coconut flat white oh thanks you know and they'll just make me a coffee and disappear off and do you know what I mean so it's I think that's part part of that's the part of COVID that I definitely always remember in terms of the people and the physios that like came to my rescue basically because I couldn't have done it without them mm. were just amazing, absolutely amazing. They checked up on me. They asked me if I was all right every day. Um, one of the physios, Megan, at four o'clock every single day, she'd come and say, "You're going to go home in a minute, aren't you?" And I'd go, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go home in a minute." And she went, "Yeah, you're fucking not." and then walk away but she'd always go you, you're gonna go home soon you're not gonna stay late are you I've just got a few bits to do Megan and then I'll go yeah, yeah you're not gonna go home do you know what I mean they genuinely kind of looked after me a bit like the mum there was one day where um I desperately needed some time at a computer we've got a really little office with like one computer and a desk in and um and a plinth you know like a treatment plinth yeah so I snuck in there get on the computer because you know I literally cannot sit in my office without oh Joe can I just ask Joe just Joe what's this Joe this so I snuck in to this little office at the end of the day about four o'clock so everyone else was kind of finishing up office sat in the office and one of them poked their head round I went oh you're in here and I went yeah I'm in here came and sat on the plinth behind me I was like right okay and another one popped in, sat on the plinth behind. <laughs> in the end, there were like five of them sat before before social distancing came in. By the way, um, five of them sat on the plinth behind me. And I literally turned around and went, 
this is like being a fucking home. I can't even go to the toilet on my own. What are you a bunch of kids? And it was like, that was a real kind of, I am literally your mother. Yeah. You are yeah. just, and they were like, well, we didn't know where to go. We're kind of done. And we, we're going home in five minutes. So we just thought we'd come and sit with you. It's like, well, okay, come on. Just as long as you're quiet, just shut up. <laughs> they literally just were like, just want to be here. It was like, yeah. okay, thanks guys. But yeah, it, it that was quite nice because I just felt like I'm obviously not that awful because you actually actively seek me out to come and sit with me. You bunch of weirdos. Mate, you're a fucking a fucking sound sound lass. That was funny. Like, <laughs> nah. Like I'm a pain to work. I'm a pain, I must be an absolute pain to work with because I'm just proper. Yeah, they know not to piss me off. Pain to be with, too. Yeah. Oh, I know. Ask them that. They're just like, fuck, that's what you for months. Pain in the ass, but our pain in the ass, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, absolute godsend. <laughs> um, nah, man, I, I really appreciate hearing your, uh, hearing your perspective of everything that's going on and, like, hearing it from, from the ground floor, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's really easy to... To get your head in the cloud and kind of, you know, believe whatever's on the fucking internet or kind of, you know, you sat around twiddling your thumbs, like we said, and you're like, oh, well, is it really real? Because I can't see it. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a fucking virus. You can't see it anyway. But, um, yeah. you know, you're not on the ground floor. You're not doing it day in, day out. And I think more stories like yourself needs to come out and people need to have more of a conversation. Is the little man okay? Yeah. You can say hello. Does he remember me? Alex, do you remember? Come here. Do you remember Alex? What's up, dude? You need to go to bed, don't you? Past your bedtime. It's past my bedtime, too. It's way past my bedtime, too. You've only just got up. Is this time to us? Oh. What's it, Alex? No, I'm watching it now. Oh, boy. Legend. <laughs> Absolute legend. All right. I'll let you two I'll let you two go to bed. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Nice chatting to you, Dave. See you later. See you later, buddy. See you later. Bye bye. Peace. Have a good kip. I've got a fudge. I'm good. Nice. Nice. All right. Peace and love. See you later.